worship this morning. Uh, those truths are a great lead-in uh, to our sermon today as we return to our series from Paul's letter to the Romans called Glory in the Gospel. Uh, please join me in your Bibles in Romans chapter 1, and we'll pick up where we left off with uh, Romans one eighteen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 will begin our passage this morning. Now, if I say to you, I've got good news and bad news, what do you say? You say, okay, give me the, give me the bad news first, right? Uh, because you want to you want the, get the bad news over with, you want to end on a positive note, uh, something more hopeful. Um, and in the first chapter of this letter, we've got good news and bad news. But it's, it's not just, you know, well, there's, there's one thing that's, you know, pretty good and, and another thing that's, you know, sort of bad. Uh, here, this, is, this, this bad news at the end of chapter one is the only way to really appreciate just how good the good news of God is for you. The bad news tells us why we need the good news. Paul said earlier, the passage we looked at already uh, in previous weeks, he says, I am all about the gospel, literally the good news, the message that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the Savior King that God had promised and sent, sent by God to redeem a people uh, through Jesus' own death and resurrection. And Paul says, I have been commissioned by God to tell everyone everywhere so that they might turn to Jesus in faith and so be saved. Now, to you, that might not sound like good news. The message about Jesus, I mean, what's the big deal about Jesus? He lived a long, long time ago. Um, Who cares anymore? Uh, But that's why we need to hear the bad news. If you don't know why we need to hear the good news, um, we have to hear the bad news because even though we live some 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, our fundamental problem, yours, mine, the, the human race, our world, the problem is the same. And the good news of Jesus Christ is just as profound and just as life-changing as ever. So, uh, as I said, we're gonna, our passage is going to begin with verse 18, but I'm going to, to do the reading, I'm going to back up to verse 15 and actually read all the way through verse 32, the end of the chapter, even though we're going to focus this morning on verses 18 to 25, and we'll pick up the rest next week. But this, this holds together, all right? So beginning with verse 15, he says, I am eager, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to proclaim the good news about Jesus, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless." Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is God's Word, and it is heavy stuff this morning for us even to just to read it. And very, you, you know this, very controversial for our times, especially the, the latter part of the chapter, which we're going to get into next week. But I wonder if you noticed how early on in the, the passage that I read, how many times Paul starts uh, the sentence with the word for. Uh, you can think of it as the, the word uh, our, we use more often because. And, and he just, Paul just keeps doing it. He's like, this is true because of this situation, uh, which is because this happened. And because of that, then I'm doing this and so on and so on. And he, it can almost be, well, it can be hard to follow. Like he's just kind of going this, this chain of because, because, because. Let me, let me paraphrase, if I can, verses uh, 15 to 25 for you as, as a kind of a dialogue. See if this helps you follow it. Paul says, I am eager to preach the good news about Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And, and like, well, Paul, why, why are you so big on the gospel? Because it is the power of God for salvation. Okay, Paul, but what do, what do people need to be saved from? Well, because God's wrath is against the unrighteous. Well, okay, well, why is God so upset? I mean, what if they just didn't know better? He says, no, because God clearly showed himself through creation, but they decided to make up their own gods instead of worshiping their creator God. So, does that help? I mean, he's working backwards through a chain of causes or because's um, in order to explain how the world got in big trouble. That's the bad news that makes you appreciate the good news. Here, here's the, the sermon in a sentence this morning. God's salvation is such good news because God's wrath is against all who exchange his glory for lesser gods. God's salvation is such good news because God's wrath is against all who exchange his glory for lesser gods. Now, instead of going backwards with Paul, um, I'm going to flip it around so we can better follow his logic. I think this will work if, if you stick with me. So this is part one. Glory displayed. Our creator God displays his glory in creation for all to see. So uh, verses 19 and the first part of 20. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to uh, sinful humankind, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. I'm happy to live in a small town closer to cornfields than skyscrapers, but I do enjoy as I'm sure many of you do, the, the architecture of Chicago. You go down and you see uh, the buildings there. And uh, at least a couple of times, we've taken the architecture boat uh, cruise, a boat tour. Have you seen that? You uh, take a boat down the Chicago River, and there's a narrator that's telling you about the buildings, uh, when they were built, and, and uh, the different uh, eras of construction and the styles and all so- sorts of things. And of course, you have to talk about the architects, too, the architects behind the designs. And famous in Chicago, Daniel Burnham or Louis Sullivan or Ludwig Mies van der Rohe. You, you don't like, who's that guy? Well, he's, you know him, his, his uh, famous quote, less is more. Because he was the guy behind the, basically the black box rectangular glass. It was just very simple, just a, a flat, black, simple rectangle. There you go, skyscraper. Less is more. That's his idea. Now, he said, but, but all of that, you talk about the architects because the creation leads you to consider the creator, right? When you see a building that's beautiful in detail, breathtaking in height, it leads you to marvel not only at the build, building, but the builder, the designer. Hebrews 3, verses 3 and 4 says this, the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. You see a house and you know some, well, somebody built it. You see, all, you see our world? You should think the same thing. Somebody built this and the builder has more honor than the building. Should. Yeah, thank you. The question here is, do we look at the natural world this way? I mean, architects are pretty cool with what they can do with stone and steel and glass. Amazing things. God started with nothing, and look what he did. Do we see the power and the beauty, the wonder of creation? Do we recognize in it the glory of God? That's what we're supposed to see. Psalm 19, this is very familiar to many of us. Psalm 19 begins, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That is like, there's somebody behind this. There's an artist, a designer that's, that has made this. It says, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So he's saying every day, every night, we, we get a spectacular showcase of the glory of God. There is, and of course, literally no audible voice from nature that we can hear with our ears, but at the same time, at the very same time, it is true, nature, creation, shouts a clear message to us all the time, everywhere, the glory of God. God is glorious. The creator is not someone we can see with our eyes, but every day in the things that he has made, we can see, we, we can see his invisible attributes here. It says his eternal power, his divine nature, his divine nature. That, that's referring to his, simply his, his godness. That, that what, what makes him God? That there is a supernatural someone. There is a creator behind the creation, behind and beyond. 
God's glory is on display in the infinity of space, in stars without number. We, we sang this uh, earlier, but, but think about it. Uh, uh, centuries ago, the first uh, scientists using the, the primitive telescopes, and they would, you know, Galileo or somebody else would put that telescope up on a, on a balcony so they could get a little bit closer, a little bit, a little bit better view. Then we, then we, you know, we built big telescopes and put them on top of mountains so we could get a better view further out, more stars. We, we put telescopes even bigger and we shot them into space so that we could see further and we could see more stars. We still haven't seen the end of the universe. We still haven't counted all the stars. And this, the infinity of space, the number of stars speaks to the glory of God. And, and in the same sort of way, when we think about all every snowflake that is piled up inches and inches, maybe in some places feet deep, every snowflake, unique. Try counting those just like you're, when you get done counting the stars. God's glory is on display also in the intricacies of life at the cellular level or the incredible forces of energy at the subatomic level. God's glory is on display in the speed and grace of a running deer or the way a, a looking at a baby chick or a little puppy, just, just you can't help but be drawn in. You, you want to hold that little thing. And, and you can say, well, yeah, sure, nature can be ugly and deadly too, Tsunamis wipe out villages. Viruses send some to the hospital. A deer runs out and hits and hit your truck. Paul will acknowledge and explain this, that aspect of nature later in the letter. But all of this doesn't take away uh, from the wonder, the power, the beauty that is there, that points to something, that points to someone behind it all. What a shame if we, if, for those of us here this morning who say we believe in the Creator, but we don't see his glory anymore in creation. Maybe because we're not even looking. We, we, it's so easy, as with others around us, to become absorbed in the unreality of reality TV or the sterilized world of virtual reality, the superficiality of celebrity gossip or social media, the pseudo-events that fill the news broadcasts. When our Creator God displays His glory and creation for all to see, that, that should spur us to, to look, especially if we, we who believe look at the wonders all around you and behold the glory of God. Worship Him. Now, it'd be a shame to miss the glory of God, to, to overlook it, to, to be distracted, but the real problem here in this passage, the glory of God has been rejected has been spurned. This is part two. Glory exchanged. God displays His glory. We traded it. Those who refuse to glorify Him exchange His glory for lesser gods. Now, I wonder if you noticed how this kind of links into our theme. I, I, you know, I gave the tagline, glory in the gospel for this whole series. And, of course, we see God's glory in the gospel, his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his wisdom and power, as verse 16 says. It's the power. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Uh, we see uh, how God brings us through the gospel into glory, to share his glory. But the glory of God is right here at the heart of the problem. It's in both creation and fall. And the gospel is the solution. You can see it, uh, of course, glory in, in verse 23. They exchanged the glory of God. 
and they, it was a bad trade, a lousy exchange, uh, ripoff. Uh, and yet, there's another connection to the theme that is not as obvious in the English Standard Version, the translation I'm using. So, uh, verse 21, uh, the first part there. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. And that word honor there is translating a Greek word for glory. Uh, the verb meaning to glorify. I mean, He showed them His glory... They should have glorified him, and yet they traded it away. They swapped it out for something cheap and useless. Do you understand worship this way? Seeing the glory, laying hold of it as a, a treasure. On Sunday and every day, I mean, we're not here, folks, this morning to, to sort of put in our time and hope that God would be pleased, that he'll kind of give you a pass on some other things because, you know, hey, I showed up. No, we're not here to put in our time or perform religious duties. We're here to glorify God as we give him praise and, and reset our lives, refocusing on him. God, you're at the center, and, and we're here to live for you, to, to point, point back to you for all that you've done for us. And we do not uh, work then Monday. To, that's, that's what we do here, but we go out Monday to Friday, work. We don't, we don't just work to get money to buy stuff, put food on the table, and then hopefully have a little fun on the weekend. We work within God's creation to honor our Creator, making, building, serving, caring as He would have us do. And it's a beautiful thing when, when Human beings live on Sunday and every day with a recognition and a celebration of God in all His glory. But if, the, uh, if you think in terms of Proverbs that we were in last fall, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom and the kind of full and flourishing life that God created and intended for us, then think of it, the, the dismissal of God instead of the fear of the Lord, the dismissal of God, the disrespect, dishonoring of God leads to, what would you expect? Folly and futility. That's what, exactly what it says in the passage. So verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. That is empty, useless, worthless, futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, verse 24 is, links more to what follows, but we need to catch verse 25 because that links to exactly what we're talking about right now. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, we may not have, uh, you know, shrines with animal statues being worshipped in our culture. I mean, you can find those in the world today, yes. Um, you know, here in America, in the, in the West, you know, Europe, uh, United States, you don't find animal statues at shrines being worshipped. But there is, uh, we should note, there is a variety of nature worship in, in our own culture. Um, that could, and it looks in a variety of ways. You could look like a sort of a new age, I don't know if people use that term anymore, but sort of new agey gurus that are, that are trying to find a spiritual connection through nature, but, but not to God. 
just kind of connecting one, one with nature and, and, and so forth, but, but God's not really in the picture. Or um, some radical environmentalists, I'm not saying all environmentalists are this way, but some radical environmentalists, protecting, preserving nature is the highest uh, good uh, more than anything else. Or, or on another side, many, many scientists, again, not all scientists, of course, many scientists committed to a naturalism that says nature is all there is. I mean, really, all of those groups are saying that in the end. There's, no, there's not a, the God out there. It's just uh, us. It's just this world that we live in, and how do we understand it? How do we connect to it? Or how do we uh, preserve it? It's the, it's the highest level you can get to. I've seen multiple articles uh, recently that describe a new rise of paganism in uh, the West, again, America and Europe, as a reaction to a more materialistic worldview, not, I mean, not just like spending a lot of money, but materialist in the sense of, again, this world, the things that we can see and touch is all there is. And of course, that, that often plays out in the kind of materialism that we talk about, like, I just like to go to the mall and shop, or I just like to order things off Amazon, that kind of materialism. Um, but anyway, it's uh, this new paganism, something of a reaction to materialism as a philosophy approach to life, and also as a rejection of Christianity. And one example, uh, kind of humorous, was a story last month from a newspaper in Casper, Wyoming, uh, talking to three witches who celebrate Yule instead of Christmas. So, not Christmas, Yule, you know, like the Yule log. Um, here's the end of that article. So, I'm reading this from the Casper, Wyoming newspaper. It said, uh, talking to one of these families, the, the legend of Crow, a Native American tale about how humans got fire is also a favorite of theirs. And then there's the story of Bewe, a sun goddess of the Sami of Scandinavia who helps people make it through the difficult winter months. In this particular family they're interviewing, uh, folklore from all over the world has a place at the table. And that's kind of the point, they said. There's no right way to be pagan. It's about connecting with the traditions that resonate most with you and letting those guide your spiritual path. Now, that is a perfectly 21st century uh, version of ancient paganism, right? There, no, no scary gods, no costly worship, just whatever works for you, you know? Uh, except it doesn't work. It, do, it doesn't work. It might work for you, but it doesn't work. You've exchanged the glory of God for mere legends and myths, maybe not sculpted idols. Well, they probably have those too. But, uh, but still the same, it's all projections of our imagination, of, of sinful humankind. Do you, do you get it? That's what, that's what those, it's not just about the stone or the gold image. It's that we have made gods. We're, we're, we're making gods. We, we think we're, we can, projections from our imagination, this is what I will worship. You've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And that unreality means futility and folly. You are going against the grain of creation. You are defying the, the universe as it is and the God who made it. That, that, it's futility, it's folly. Those things are empty and silly. They are worthless and useless. That's what Paul's saying right here. We could, we could read passages that are familiar to you from Isaiah talking about the, the silliness of idolatry. A guy, you know, is out chopping wood. He takes half of it and makes, uh, puts it on the fire to warm himself, makes another uh, into an idol and bows down before it. doesn't make any sense. I want to read uh, instead a passage from Jeremiah that talks about the foolishness of making that kind of trade, that kind of exchange. This is Jeremiah 2, 11 and thir to 13. The Lord says, Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? 
But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and instead hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Which God do you want? The fountain of life or a broken cistern? Do you, want, do you want to thrive or do you want to be left thirsty? Then don't trade the glory of God for lesser gods. That's a bad exchange. It's a bad trade. It's, it's just stupid, frankly. Hold on to the truth because the truth here is not just religious doctrine. It's about being honest. It's about living in the light. It's about coming to grips with reality the way things really are in the world, we were created by God to be the images of God reflecting His glory, not worshiping other reflectors, other human beings, the, the image instead of the original, or other created things, rocks, trees, animals, stars. Those were made to display His glory. We were made to see those and wonder at them, yes, but not worship them, to wonder and then worship God, the Creator. Those who refused to glorify Him exchange his glory for lesser gods. And that's the heinous crime which explains God's wrath in verse 18. Again, remember, we're working backwards. Verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. This is part three. God's wrath. God's wrath is against this willful ignorance and foolish idolatry. Some, some might think, well, why is God so angry just because human beings didn't praise him? I mean, is that just being a little oversensitive, a little too egotistical? Um, well, let me, let me tease this out in a, in a different scenario for you, maybe a little, something a little more down to earth. Uh, let's say that you were having lunch in our fellowship hall last Sunday after our service, and you went up to the counter where all the desserts were laid out, a, a vast array of Sweet, sweet goodness. And you are there, and, and there were and there are other, there's a couple of other people there who are also uh, making their selections, and you overhear the two of them going back and forth. Uh, one says, oh, you have to try that, some of that. It is so good. And the other one asks, oh, who made it? Remember, the creation leads you to consider the creator. We said that before. So you are, you are very pleased because what they are pointing to is what you made. It is your secret recipe, your specialty, your signature dish. And just as you are considering how to make yourself known to these folks, the first person says, um, I think Katie made it. But they're wrong. Katie did not make it. You made it. You, you made that. How do you feel at that moment? You feel surprised. You feel hurt. You feel angry. Somebody's getting the credit that they do not deserve. You deserve the credit. Now, set aside for the moment the possibility that there might be some elements of pride, of selfishness, or insecurity that play into that whole emotional cauldron that you have going on inside of you. Before, but think about this. Before any of that comes into play, this is a matter of truth, and it is a matter of justice. 
Do you understand that? Truth, who really is the creator? And justice, who is due, who is rightfully due the credit, the praise, the glory for this wonderful creation? Yeah. So before you go blaming God for being upset because you didn't worship him, have you considered the truth of who he is and the justice, the rightness that he be glorified or the the gross injustice, the unrighteousness when he is not glorified? Now, unlike my fairly trivial potluck example, Paul is not talking about people who in a bit of innocent ignorance are ready to praise the wrong someone for this marvelous creation. Yet they are, in that little story, they're just simply mistaken as to whom they owe thanks. No, that's not what's going on in the, in the picture of humanity. Every human being knows the truth about God. Picture, for a moment, a primitive village islander. And also, on the other hand, a sophisticated urban elite. Neither one can say, hey, don't blame me for not glorifying God. I never read the Bible. I never had the op- I never went to church. I didn't know. The villager says, Well, I worshiped the sun because I knew that's what gave me life. And the the urban elite says, Well, I worshiped money because I knew that's what gave me life. Folks, that is not, on neither case, that is not an innocent ignorance. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Or verse 20, his invisible attributes have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made ever, ever since creation. All the way back, all the way, every, every moment in time, every place, naturally, in the world he has made. And he says, and you, you saw it, and you traded it away. And that's why he can say that they are all without excuse. That's why he can say that they have suppressed the truth. They have not missed the truth. They have not just, they've, they've pushed it down and away. When you knowingly trade God's glory for a cheap imitation, you're culpable. You stand guilty, deserving judgment. That's what Paul means when he talks about the wrath of God. This is, it's not just about how God feels about our sin, like he's, his feelings are hurt, not that he's, and he's upset, he's unhappy, he's, he's angry, he, maybe he's a little insecure. No, that's not, no, no. It's, it's, it is about how God feels about our sin. There is a sense of the fiery anger, yes, But it also includes, when Paul talks about that wrath, he is including the consequences of our sin when he talks about the wrath of God. So let me uh, jump ahead, if I may, uh, to, if you have your Bible open, and you can look down to chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5 says this, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, there's a lot going on there that we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks, uh, especially when we get there to chapter 2. But what I want you to see specifically for this moment is that phrase, God's the wrath as God's righteous judgment, meaning He is right to uh, bring judgment 
He is not doing something wrong. He, out of his righteous character, he always does what's right. And out of his righteous character, he is right to bring judgment because it is a matter of truth and it is a matter of justice. In response to our ungodliness, our unrighteousness, as he says in verse 18. Here's just a couple of verses from the prophet Isaiah. This is chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Isaiah 5, 15, 16. Man is humbled, and each one is brought low, and the eyes of the haughty, the proud, are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. See the connection of justice and, excuse me, um, judgment and righteousness in that those verses. So as, as we've already seen, God shows his glory in creation. He shows his power, his deity in creation. He shows himself holy in justice and his righteousness as he brings judgment. And when you think about it, that could be the end of the story. We, we, uh, if, if you know the Bible, if you're a, a Christian, you, we, we forget that it, it could have ended that simply, that God made the world, he showed us his glory, we said, no, no, I think I'm going to go another way. I, I think I'll choose this instead. Sorry if that insults you, but, you know, this is the way I'm going to go. And he just said, okay, well, in my righteousness, uh, it is only right that I bring judgment and destroyed end of story. I mean, the world could have ended with, in, in Noah's day, if he had not also been committed in his righteousness to salvation. He is righteous in salvation. We see that going back to the verses we've already looked at uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just read verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is part four. This is our last part this morning. God's salvation. All this, all this that we've said up to this point, this is why the announcement of God's salvation is such good news. This is why Paul is so stoked. He's like, he's driven to make the gospel known around the world to everyone, everywhere. God's salvation. This is why the announcement of God's salvation is such good news. So remember, in the flow of what Paul's writing, we said, verse 18, God's wrath revealed starts with the word for or because, and the connection back to 16 and 17 is this. The message of God's salvation is such good news that must be told, 16 and 17, because, verse 18, God's wrath is against all the unrighteousness of humankind who are guilty because of their willful ignorance, their foolish idolatry, rejecting their creator, rejecting God. And as we continue through, excuse me, through the rest of the chapter uh, next week, and we get into that, that list of, of sins, evil, wickedness. We, we, get, we work our way through that. Some of us might just want to jump in there and say, you know, come to think of it, I'm angry too. I am angry about all the immorality that's running rampant through this world. And, you know, you've got, there's some sympathy there between you and God. And you're like, God, God needs to unleash his wrath on the, all those wicked people. And there's something, there's something right about that. There's something that is true and just about that righteous anger. And yet, and yet, this is precisely why we have the good news 
of Jesus. Judgment is never meant to be the last word. Now, I have to say, just almost just as quickly, as, as much as I want that to land, judgment is never meant to be the last word. Uh, I have to say, God's wrath will be the last word for those who do not repent. We have to say that. For those who persist in ignoring and rejecting God. When, when, we, when we see, uh, as we see, God is not, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Um, but there will be some who will just, who will say, no, no, I, 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 I made that, I, I don't want you, God. But until that final judgment day, we live in the age of gospel proclamation, the announcement of mercy, of grace, of forgiveness. The, the slate can be wiped clean. Your record of wrongs can be, can be pardoned, can be pardoned, and it's available to all who come by faith to Christ, the Savior King. Paul says in, in verse 17 again, in it, the, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed. His power for all salva- our salvation. Just as much as his judgment is righteous, he is doing right when he brings judgment on sinners. His righteousness is revealed when we see his power for all our salvation. And that's why he can say, I am not, if that's what the gospel is, and I'm not ashamed of that, or we could even turn that around and say, I, I glory in that. I'm not, I'm not cow. I'm like, like, uh, the gospel. No, man, I revel in the gospel. I glory in the gospel. God's rescue plan has finally been made manifest in Jesus. The salvation was foretold in the prophets. As he quotes Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. And it was also previewed in other ways throughout the Old Testament. I, I, I saved back a passage uh, from the Old Testament that I could have read earlier in this sermon. It's the, it's the original source of the, the phrase, exchanged the glory, that, that Paul uses here. Paul didn't come up with that, that little turn of phrase. He gets it from Psalm 106. And the part that I'm going to read you out of this much longer psalm, Psalm 106, looks back to Exodus 32 and 33. It's time when Israel was at, at Mount Sinai, or also known as Horeb, You'll, you'll, you'll recognize this. Psalm 106, verses 19 to 23 says, They made a calf at Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. He had saved them. He was their Savior. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, the chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath, God's wrath, from destroying them. Back then, back in the time of the Exodus, it was Moses described in Psalm 106 as God's chosen one who stood between God and his sinful people to turn away God's wrath after they had exchanged the glory of God, after they had spurned their Savior, they exchanged the glory of God for a golden calf. But that moment, that powerful, beautiful, redemptive moment only anticipated the day when Jesus Christ God's chosen one would stand in the breach, would, would stand between 
God the Father, a holy God, and a sinful humankind as Jesus hung on the cross to turn away God's wrath and bring God's salvation instead. And on that, in that moment of justice and mercy, God's righteousness was on display in a way that his, his glory seen, in a way that, yes, you can see in creation, but you can't see all of the glory of who God is until you see the cross, until you see what's going on there. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Amazing. I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you, glorify you. In all I do, I honor you. Throughout the passage, Paul keeps talking about they, them, the unrighteous. You know, he's talking to this group of believers, but he's talking about sort of sinful humankind out there. And I'm wondering today, before, before we close, before we pray and sing and walk out the door, I'm wondering if any of you can recognize yourself in that, that they, those people who had exchanged the glory of God for a lie, had given up on God to, to pursue the glory of lesser things. If you recognize yourself in that, you can avoid the coming day of judgment by making today, this day, day of salvation as you turn from sin and turn to Christ in faith. What does it mean to be saved? Well, part of it, yes, means to be avoiding, to be spared from that judgment, the wrath of God. And yet, it means more than that. Please, I hope you know this. It means being saved means more than avoiding God's anger. It means when you have been saved, when you have turned to, from your sin and turned to Christ, you have, you're trading your broken cisterns for the fountain of life. That's a good deal. That's the right kind of exchange to make. Be brought back. and that, When you find the fountain of life, and when you know God to be that for you, you're, you're being brought back into a right relationship with your Creator who can give you life, life with God and for His glory, praising Him forever as His image bearers here on earth and in the new heavens and new earth before the throne forever and ever. We can, we can, I'd love to help you begin that journey if you haven't already started it. I hope that if you're, if you're saying, well, this, yeah, I believe all this stuff, but you know, it's, it's just, it just hasn't been something that has gripped me, that has driven me, that's moved me in my day-to-day life and, and as I gather here on Sunday. I pray that would be this good news. It's really good to you. Let's pray. Father, we're asking that you would make your announcement about Jesus and the life and peace, joy and beauty that you bring through him. I pray that 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 good news would be something that we can, oh, we can taste it. We know it. Because it's, it's real to us. God, help us to see your glory in creation. Help us to see your glory in the gospel, in the, in the cross of Jesus Christ, in his glorious resurrection, and 
one day his glorious return. Make us your people. Do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.